As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break, the playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You can build yourself a homemade scratching machine. Or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratches from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. Expressing your love can look many different ways. And with the right jewelry gift from Blue Nile, it can truly sparkle. Blue Nile's collection of classic diamond jewelry makes for the kind of gift that speaks volumes without saying a single word. Or switch things up with a sapphire piece sure to spark conversation. Either way, Blue Nile's diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Express yourself with Blue Nile, the original online jeweler, at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Somebody please think of the children! And welcome back to Little Cuts. Our weekly mini-sode, where we dig into things that we've been watching and or playing recently. I'm Terry. And reading! And I'm Mary Beth. And reading! I learned how to read! Anyway, <laughs> this week, we are chatting about things that go bump in the night, the worst 911 operator, a fever dream of a novel, an epic sci-fi series, a coming, a coming-of-age ghost story, a cute YA adaptation, and a love letter to Japanese TV. Aww. Oh, really? Oh. Is that how you feel? Someone has thoughts. I know. She's got a lot of thoughts and feelings about the media I've been consuming. Anyway. I mean, that makes perfect sense. So, wait, before we do talk about all the stuff we have been consuming recently, it is a new month. It's Pride. We have new uh, Patreon stuff coming your way, including our Fresh Wounds episode, which uh, we're going to record this weekend, and is going to be about what, Mary Beth? Get ready for DIY C-sections. Spoiler alert. Well, if you don't know by now, you're now you do. So that's fine. I feel like most of our listeners know what it is because we've curated that kind of listenership. And I love that for us. I do love that for us. We'll also have a new seltzer up shortly. Uh, we lost track of time because time is fake. I don't. I I don't think May is actually ended yet. Like I don't. I don't think it has. <laughs> I don't either. I uh, uh, my noodle is blown that it is today when we are recording this is June first and it is fucking June. But um, yeah, support your local gay podcasters and support us on Patreon. 
instead of throw a coin to your gay podcasters instead of people that use pride to talk about queerness and then don't talk about it for the rest of the year you know who you are we're gay 247365 baby. We sure are. Except for that one time where I I accidentally came out as straight on that episode. Oh yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> what a ride. What uh, a ride. I tell you. I tell you. All right. I want to hear about things that go bump in the night. So, okay, so things that go bump in the night. This is The Boogeyman, which is now in theaters, directed by Rob Savage of Host Fame. I am in the, well, that's why I didn't say that for a reason, but okay. (laughs) Uh, Former guest of the show as well, Rob Savage. But I'm going to be brief about this one because I am in the minority and then I did not very much, I did not really enjoy this movie very much. A lot of people have, but this is one of my all-time favorite Stephen King short stories Mm -hmm. and it is a very short short story. It is. On the podcast. Yeah. So it's. 10 pages long, it's really short, and I was very interested to see how they were going to adapt it, and I'm just, like, not very impressed with how they adapted it. There's some pretty good jump scares, and, like, there's some really interesting shots. I think, like, you know, Rob is really good at framing scares. He really is. And building to scares. And so I definitely respect that. Um, I just think it's just, it was so much, it's, like, aping so much from Smile and, like, these trauma narratives we keep seeing in horror and like so back in woods wrote the script and it it's just not very it's just not it's not strong it feels very cookie cutter it's very one dimensional it's very kind of like boring to me personally so i mean and it, you know it's pg13 i think it does some good scares even if it's pg13 like it's not the rating i think that affects it i think it's just like it's not it feels a little bit lazy in terms of a trauma narrative. And it's just like, it, I'm getting sick of it. I'm getting really bored of it. Yeah. As someone who is incredibly traumatized, figure out, like, it's so, it's not that hard to do a good story about trauma, but I feel like people are not understanding what resonates about trauma horror. They're just seeing, like, the like the kind of, like, baseline or, like, upper level of what that looks like instead of really understanding what they're trying to do. And that's what this movie is. Someone who, like, watched the Babadook and was like, I could do that. And they didn't really understand what made the Babadook scary and, like, affecting. And, yeah. So. I I saw Matt Monagle yeah. uh, posting today about it. And he did not, he did not yeah. like it either. And But I think he and you kind of clued in on the same issue is that we've had. We're at, like, the, t- the tail end of, like trauma being like the go-to horror thing for a very long time it seems like at this point and i think we're at the tail end of that and i don't think there's anything else to really mine from it and so it just feels kind of like you said cookie cutter yes exactly and you know i think a lot of people have liked it and that's all and i'm glad like i'm glad that it'll probably do well in theaters i think it's like definitely has good jump scares but it just reminds me very much of like mid to late 2000s theatrical runs of like horror movies that were very mid um gave me those vibes very much so that's me i know we don't usually shit on movies here but i feel like that movie is a big enough release that i don't think my one bad review is going to like (laughs) put it in the toilet because a lot of people have liked it and so i don't feel i don't feel ever i don't ever feel as bad shitting on a wider release than an indie (laughs) only because like 
it's not as big of a deal. But yeah, so I mean, like, a lot of you might enjoy it. So I don't know. I'm debating whether don't I'm go on expecting it anything like the story. Yeah, it's just like there's so much in the story that has a lot to do with like toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and. You've, have you read it? I have not. Short story? I, um, I have, okay. I'm not a huge not a huge short story fan. Or I have historically not been okay. a huge short story fan. Uh, so okay. I have I've that is like one area of, of King that I've never really I've made it I've read a few, okay. but like it's not something that I okay. I go look for. And that was in was that in Nightmares and Dreamscapes? Was it in that one? Night Shift. Night Shift, okay. Night Shift. Yeah, I've never read Night Shift. Yeah. So Night Shift is like my favorite one, but I also read that when I was really young and I kind of like imprinted mm-hmm. on it, um, especially because I read The Boogeyman when I think I was like 10 uh, and that really fucked me up. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's just such a fa- dense, but it's like thematically really dense if like you're reading it from like, you know, a, a pretty analytical lens in terms of like masculinity toxic masculinity how parent like how fathers think of like it's like very king but it could have been really cool taking that into like a 2023 context but instead they made a cookie cutter like kids in peril with a monster kind of movie and it's like boring it's just like the most boring route you could have fucking taken it like there's just like no originality anyway i'm gonna stop now i'm getting mean but yeah (laughs) that's the boogeyman out today in theaters if you so wish to see it <laughs> i want to hear about the worst 911 operator because when you wrote this in our notes i cackled like a hyena because it <laughs> caught me off guard because it made it's just a funny a funny a funny thing to read out of context mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> i got my start reviewing video games but i haven't really reviewed cool. video games much recently one night i was like i really want to try to review this upcoming game that's coming out and so i had went through i don't even know how i came across this website that's for it's called it's for press of video games and it has like a bunch of indie games and this was one of them that they were putting keys out there for and so i requested one and i got one and so i've been playing killer frequency uh since last week and it is out as of was the recording of this so if you're listening to this it's out and it is out on everything steam xbox playstation nintendo switch meta quest 2 so like if you have any of those this is out to play on and it takes place in 1980s 1987 i want to say and you are a radio dj that used to broadcast out of chicago and have millions of listeners every night and something happened and you have been relegated to the small town of gallows creek where your listenership went from millions to like dozens uh and you are the late night shift dj at this small town um radio station in the 80s Nothing has ever gone wrong in a small town radio station on the late shift. Nothing has ever Nothing. gone wrong. That is definitely Nothing. not a horror <laughs> show at all. And so it's you and your producer, Peggy, and you see her like in the room across from you. And it's it's sort of like fuzzied, like a, like a producer's mirror almost. And she's kind of showing you the ropes of how to how to maneuver the playing the singles on the record player, playing ads on your cassette tape answering calls, changing the volume up and down. Like it, it feels kind of like a workplace simulator in some regard. But then you get a phone call from the 911 dispatch operator who is panicked and saying that, sh- that Sheriff Matthews, the sheriff in town has been killed. Um, the wh- some 
urban legend of the whistling man who was this killer from the 50s who died quote unquote under uh like mysterious circumstances and you know him by he whistles and so like there's this high-pitched whistling sound as he's, like, <laughs> as he's like stalking Fuck his prey and he killed the, the he killed the sheriff she's unable to get any calls out to neighboring police stations uh she the phone lines are all dead and so the very first thing you have to do is basically help her get out of the police station into a car and leaving and so you have to like provide suggestions that you know us horror fans are always screaming at the screen like do this you need to grab this you need to do that (laughs) and i got her out of safety and she went and she's like okay now i'm transferring all the 911 calls to your radio station and you're gonna field calls because i'm the dispatcher and i'm going no that's not how this works no no (laughs) and so we spend the rest of the night i just love that you're like fuck no that's not what i asked (laughs) He's like, excuse me, what are you doing? She's like, someone needs to do it. You are you are a radio person. You know how to talk to people. I need you to field the calls while I go bring the cavalry from the nearby town and it's gonna take me four hours to get there and back. So have fun. Oh my god. And so then it's it's like you trying to play your, your music. People are calling in for singles to play. There are like weird characters that call in. One person is trying to constantly promote his pizza store. And so he, like, calls in constantly. And then you're also fielding calls with people that um, are being chased by the Whistling Man. And you have to use a variety of things to help them out of the predicament. So it has kind of an escape room type vibe to it. Like, one one part, you have a magazine that has, like, that talks about how to hotwire a car. I don't know why this isn't a magazine, but, you know, it's a game. And so you're using that, and you're basically trying to talk this woman through hotwiring her car because she ran from the killer and dropped her keys, and now she's in her car and she can't get out, and the whistling man is coming for her. So you basically have uh, to, like, help I'm her. I'm stressed just yeah. hearing about this. You have to help her, like, learn how to how to hotwire the car and get out of there. People can die. I killed more people than I care to admit on my playthrough. <laughs> Which is why this is about the worst 911 dispatch operator, because I was not good at saving uh, a lot of people. Yes. But it's it's fun. It's it's a little cheesy. It's it's a little silly. Uh, there's a little bit of ludonarrative dissonance in it, because like the actual solving okay. puzzles don't have any time limits on it. So it feels like the killer's oh. just sort of like waiting for you to get things done. <laughs> so there's like a little bit of that kind of silliness to it that is inherent with playing the game. But it's a fun story. It has a couple of good twists and turns some fun music in it and really good voice acting. The voice acting reminded me of um, fire Ooh. firewatch. Is that what it was called? Oh, okay. Did we talk about this game before firewatch? Have you played? Yeah. Okay. I thought we talked about it at one point. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it has kind of like that, that same quality of, of voice acting and it's fun and it's available pretty much everywhere you want to play games at. So I, I recommend this one. This one was, yeah. this one was a good one. Is it on switch? It is. It's on Switch, Sweet. PlayStation, Xbox, Steam, MetaQuest 2, everywhere that you can probably play a game, it's out. It sounds fun. It is fun. And stressful as fuck. Yeah. But like, did you ever play Papers, Please? Yes. So I know it's not the same, but I love games that are like, you have one person that you're like working. It's like little mini missions in mm-hmm. the grand scheme of the game. Like that is, I love doing stuff like that. Like it helped. I don't know why, but the ADHD task brain in me very much love stuff like that so that sounds very much 
Yeah. Oh and what's the, like, it's a good vibe. Like, the art is cool and everything. Oh, the, I the saw art the pictures really you posted cool. on Twitter, and I thought it was cool. And those are what it looks like in-game. It, it def, that, those aren't, like, okay. faked, faked screenshots. They, it looked, at least, I played on the PlayStation 5, and it looked that good. Okay. Yeah, it has a really, it has a really distinct um, 80s vibe to the art style. Uh, characters are exaggerated. It, like, it just, it, it's really, I think it's a really special little indie game, and I, I highly recommend Hell yeah. it. it. Took me about five hours to beat, um, so it's not that long. Uh, but I okay. think it's. I think my only real complaint about it is the fact that because it is very much like an escape room, like the kind of puzzles that you're doing are kind of escape room ish puzzles. So that once okay. you've figured them out, it's kind of like you know what the answer is. You know what I mean? So it's not. Oh, okay. Like I can't see myself replaying this game. Unless, like, unless I was an achievement hunter okay. and wanted to, like, save everyone or kill everyone on a playthrough, I... Yeah. The puzzles, once you figure it out, you're going to know what to do, and it's it's kind of moot. But it's a good experience okay. for the five hours you're playing it. It does not overstay its welcome. Okay. I enjoyed it a lot. And how much is it? I don't actually know. Do you know? Okay, cool. I was just curious if you knew. Sweet. I will, let me, I'll look that up while we continue onward. Cool. Fever Dream of a Novel. Yes. So as y'all have seen, I have been reading more recently, which has been very nice because I have not been reading and I'm finally like kind of hitting my stride with being more consistent and getting things off my fucking to be read list because good Lord, the stack of books I have on my bedside table is obscene and I continue to buy more books instead of reading them. So I am making a much more concerted effort to like read the things I have before buying more books. I just need all of you to stop writing new shit that I really want to read. <laughs> Fuckers. Said with love because you are all very smart and creative. Um, but this is a book that I was recommended on Book Talk, which I have fallen into. Yes, cliche. I don't care. I've gotten some cool book recommendations from it. This is Bunny, uh, written by Mona Awad. Awad? Pardon me if I'm saying your name wrong. This is a book I've heard a bunch about, and I'm so I read it in one day. I have not oh, read wow. a book in one day in a very long time, and I read it while I was getting my nails done, and then I came home and had to finish it because I was so sucked into the world that uh, Awad creates in this book. So the book takes place in this like prestigious, like uh, New England college that has a very prestigious MFA program. And in this MFA program is our hero, Samantha, who is an outcast and in her, and she's an outcast in her cohort because her cohort is made up of a group of girls who call themselves the bunnies. And they are all very rich, young, attractive women. And they have seemed to like form some kind of weird cult. So in this book, Samantha is basically poor, quiet, but also, like, has that superiority complex that sometimes, like, bully people get when they're like, well, I'm better. Like, and it's so, it's about how she's kind of obsessed with these women, but also hates them. And then she's invited into their circle. And what happens is, like, her kind of integration into this strange, like, group of rich white women and kind of looking into their privilege. And 
it sounds like kind of cliche, but I cannot explain to you like the weird fever dream experience of reading this book. It's like reading, it's not necessarily stream of consciousness, but you're reading like, it's like Mean Girls, but with like weird cult stuff happening. And I don't want to spoil, like spoil like what they're doing, but there is some crazy shit going on that is very odd and cult-like and just absolutely bizarre. Hmm. And the, it's just like, I don't want to spoil it because it's just one of those books that you like need to know as little as possible going into it. But it takes like that kind of dark academia vibe of like, oh, you're a loner in a program and kind of gives us a character who is kind of annoying and like you kind of wish she would reduce the superiority complex, but then also kind of interrogates academia, racism in academia, classism in academia, while also having this really bizarre plot that involves the second, like there's three parts of the book. The second part is totally entirely as a collective by with the like just using the we pronoun. Oh. And it's really cool. And it's just like you really get into these characters' heads and it's it's just like incredibly compelling in terms of what a lot is doing with the story. And it's called Bunny. Um, Bunny, yeah. I'm going to have to go add this to my... It's called Bunny. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to say too much else because... Yeah, don't spoil it. Oh, and it's a... But it's also queer. It's queer, too. And it's a full-length book. Like, a lot of horror that we've been reading recently is, like, a hundred and some odd pages, but this is... Yeah. I've been reading a lot of novellas, but this is, is like, a full-on, like, three... Yeah, 300-page novel. So this is, like, a full novel scenario adding Um, it to my list yep and that i read it in one day i mean that's granted i had a i got i mean like partially because i was getting my nails done i was getting a pedicure and a full acrylic set but still i could have stopped reading it and looked on my fucking phone and i read it the whole time like i couldn't stop reading it i think my nail tech was like who is this bitch but i was like I cannot put this book down until you take my hands away from me. I will not stop reading this book. So, yeah, I've been doing a big deep dive into like weird girl literature, as it's called. And it's so fucking tailored to what I love with like messy women and weird gore and fucked up shit. And it's just it's really it's going great. People can say that they will about book talk, but like I've gotten, I, I think I've found my niche in book talk where I get all of like the really disturbing, weird recommendations. That's the thing. Like book talk is, it's, it's the same thing as like a lot of people is like, oh, it's a book talk book. But like, I don't know. There's a lot of, like, you have to find your kind of niche in there. And I, cause I, I do think that there are some that are yeah. just like, what's the most disturbing thing I've read? And it's something that's not at all disturbing, but like there are there are areas that you can find yourself in. Like I found some good queer books out of book talk and yeah. And there's some, there's some really good creators who are just like actually trying to read like cool, interesting stuff. And a lot of the people I follow, it's like horror and disturbing books, but it's like, I've gotten introduced as like more splatter punk that Mm. way. And then, you know, so I have found my niche of like, cool alt girls who also look like they live in the woods who are recommending like the most fucked up books you've ever read and that's my favorite because i'm one of those girls except they don't live in the woods so there is someone on book talk that i enjoy uh her post i think her name is geneva rose and i I don't remember if she wrote a book called the perfect marriage and you shouldn't 
have come here and like oh i know i've heard of you shouldn't have come here she has she has like she her tiktok a lot on her tiktok is she talks about this guy named scott that decided he needed to email her and tell her how terrible he thought the perfect marriage was yes oh i know exactly what you're talking about and she talks Uh, in like this very deadpan voice and i love her i haven't read any of her books yet but i also love love her her. (laughs) yeah yeah i mean like I think that there are some people who are reading some really cool stuff and like I'm really I have found some really awesome books through that because sometimes it's hard to just Google like good horror books. Really I is. want like the really tailored to me shit. And if you get you took if you put in the time of the TikTok algorithm, you will get very specifically tailored content to you. <laughs> you sure will. And there's one time where and you will you will talk about arachnophobia, and then all of a sudden TikTok is showing you a bunch of spiders. So TikTok algorithms, they're very specific. They sure fucking are. So yeah, that's Bunny. So if you're looking for like a full length, it's like it's horror. It's definitely horror. There's like body horror in it, and so this is very different. Taking a big swing, uh, an epic sci-fi series. So tell me more about it. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that I hurt my shoulder. You know that I've been in a lot of pain, and I'm dealing with numbness. And if you're watching this, you probably have seen me rubbing my two fingers, and that's this is why it's not a nervous tick. I am just still numb in my hand. But this weekend, I had all these plans of like watching um, a bunch of festival films that I need to to watch and do some reviews, but I couldn't. And I thought this is the perfect time for me to just sit down and watch something that I've been wanting to watch for a very long time. And I decided it was going to be the Apple TV series Foundation, which oh okay, which is based cool. on the um, Foundation series of novels by Isaac Asimov and Rand. Oh, <laughs> and Rand, am I insane? <laughs> Jesus Christ! I hope just take me out. Just fucking take me out. Uh, and Rand, uh, I said that with such confidence you too. That's embarrassing. Anywho, <laughs> I really did. No, this is not about the um. What, what did what was her philosophy? Objectivism was that what? I can't remember. Yeah, I was thinking of Fountainhead, Fountain not Head. Foundation. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> and Foundation. So I watched all 10 episodes of the first season because I couldn't stop watching. I was immediately hooked. Oh! Um, the second season okay. is starting in July, so now is a perfect time to get caught up if you have Apple TV, because uh, this show is amazing. I was blown away at just how amazing Hell it yeah. was. Hell yeah, okay. And for a story that seems incredibly unfilmable, because we're talking about Foundation is set over the course of hundreds of years. In the first episode alone, we are zapping back 400 years in the past. We are eventually going 136 years into the, the to the future. And then we're going to go 34 more years into the future. Like, this is like giant gaps of time. But the way that the show okay. handles this is very fascinating because it's, it's about like this scientist, Harry Seldon, who's played by Jared Harris, who has this like... Oh, he, he, I love him. I do too. And he has this like theory, I cannot remember what the title is, even though it said so much. I think it's like psychohistory or something like that. And it's basically this idea okay. of taking math and being able to plot out giant changes that are going to come. So it's not about like the small micro oh. moments, but it is about like big hundred year, five hundred year, thousand year type predictions of what's going to happen based on statistics and math and all this kind of funky sh- shit. And he predicts that <laughs> that the empire, which has been ruled for thousands of years, is going to come to an end in 500 years from now. And 
they're going to it's going to send the galaxy into a dark age that's going to last thousands upon thousands of years unless they do something to change it is what he's saying and the emperor who and this is where it gets really interesting for me the emperor is is there's four emperors but they're the same person and they're clones of one emperor so there's always going to be oh, em- okay. emperor dawn day dusk and darkness and they are played by the same people oh. all this time because they are a direct clone from this one king that started 400 years ago and he decided that we're just going to keep cloning myself and that is how the empire is going to keep continue to survive so at every one time there's oh. always going to be a young one um, um an adult one a elderly person and someone that is that is going to the great beyond and they just keep moving in through this rose and when someone dies or if someone in a current generation dies they have a mom backup that they'll just pop them out and they've been like in, inputting information into their brains this entire time while they're in some kind of like weird womb state and they come out fully formed knowing everything so these are like people that have continued to exist and their minds have continued to exist for like 400 years and that's how they get around this idea oh. of transitioning the plot through hundreds of your time is because they're always going to be the same thing so the bad guy is always going to be this this dude played by uh lee pace terrence mann and someone else they were always there and then there's um the good guys that are being attacked and they end up getting well one it's really it's really kind of confusing but (laughs) i will say (laughs) it makes more sense when you're watching it it just sounds like a clusterfuck trying to explain okay but this show goes on over many decades characters will come out there'll be new characters coming in but there is this this core uh kind of trio of like the emperor and, ha- and Harry Seldon, played by Jared Harris, and then a woman named Gal, who is played by Lou Lobel. It's so fascinating, and it is so interesting. And I just, like, huh. I don't, it's, this is grand television in the same way that people hold up, like, Game of Thrones in terms of the look, in terms of the feel of it. This is, like, epic, oh. expensive. It's blowing away so much that I've seen on television recently that have been trying to meet kind of the scale of this. It is epic in oh. a huge way. And I... Could not stop watching it. Huh. I watched all 10 episodes in a weekend. Oh, shit. Yeah. And where? what service is that it's again? It's on Apple TV. Damn, you you are an Apple TV. I'll tell you what. Stan. I am. <laughs> They're, they, they remind me of They're like... They're doing some good stuff, though. They really are. Like It reminds me of like of HBO Max when HBO Max was in like the golden years of like putting out yeah. prestige content. Like that is what... Oh, I said content. Prestige shows. That is what... <laughs> That's what Apple feels like right now. And I think there's some really good stuff that not a lot of people are watching, which I don't know how they're continuing to fund Foundation because it is, it looks fucking expensive. It just, it really? looks so good. Okay. And I love it. And I really highly recommend it. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've like thought about it and I wasn't sure, but this now makes me want to do it. Like just the, the, the simple idea of like the, the emperors just like really... That's really it's cool. It's so fascinating. And That's it is so really well cool. done. And it makes perfect sense in the story. And it does, at one point, there might be some kind of genetic malfunction in the emperors. And it's causing consternation among them. And it just, there's oh. interesting things that happen because of that. And I just, I find it, I find the whole thing just so fascinating. I was blown away. And I've never read the books, but I was blown away by by this adaptation. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to watch it because it sounds incredibly fascinating. Really and is. very much in like my deep lore deep lore kind of interest yeah i would say so absolutely hell yeah okay swinging again though a coming of age ghost story oh so i 
This is um, Charlotte Le Bon's new uh, directorial debut, Falcon Lake, mm. which is coming out. It should actually it should be in select theaters as of the publication of the po- of this post slash this episode. And it's from Yellow Veil Pictures. It's this incredibly beautiful coming of age story, but it's also incredibly full of dread and melancholic. And it follows this boy, young boy named Bastien, who is going to spend the summer with his family at a family friend's cabin in like Lake Country in Montreal, basically like rural cabin in the middle of nowhere, summer camp vibes, yeah. basically. And when he gets there, he meets uh, the family friend. Like, he sees the family friend's older daughter, Chloe. She's 16. He's about to turn 14. And he's kind of like, he's starting to realize that girls are pretty. Mm-hmm. And they form this relationship. And she's also very fascinated by this urban legend of a young boy drowning in the lake. And she's kind of obsessed with death and kind of retelling the story of the boy in the lake via photographs. And so... Karen Coleman called it like a, who is the um, the founder of the Future of Homeless Female and also a, a film programmer, and she said that this is like a beautiful slow burn summer film, and it is okay. very much matches that vibe of like lazy summer days mm. where you're a kid and you're kind of bored, but then you're also with your friends, and it's like the kind of bullshit that you get up to when you're a little bit bored and you don't have much to do around you and the games you play and things like that, but it also is this like look at young teenage desire and obsessing over like obsessions with death. And there's just this air over it that feels like something's going to happen. And it's just like all it's incredibly atmospheric. It's very slow. The score is beautiful. It's shot. Like it looks like it's from the seventies, the but they have oh, iPhones. Okay. So it's, so it like feels very, again, like that suspended in time and space vibe of the of like the lazy days of summer. So it, like, on the surface kind of looks like your kind of standard coming-of-age story, but as you watch it, you just get sucked in because it just, something feels wrong. And it's, in French, it's really good. It's got kind of call-me-by-your-name vibes in terms of, like, our protagonist. It's not queer, and there isn't, there's a little bit, like... I don't know how we want to talk about age gaps. There isn't like an army hammer Timothy thing, but she is 16 and he's 13. Right. So like there's some, there's some weird shit going on there too, but whatever. There just ha- it has that same kind of vibe See, that, of I was, summertime you explaining the kind love. of summertime love, the sort of like the slow yes. burn summer feel. Like I was immediately thinking of call me by your name when you were saying that. So yes, it very much feels like that. Like, at first, and then it differ- It starts to differentiate itself, because I was like, oh, God, is this going to just play out like another kind of, like, a call-me-by-your-name rip-off without the queerness? But, no, it really differentiates itself, especially at its end. And, like, yeah, not everyone's going to like it, but I think it's, like, one of these sneaky, beautiful movies that if you are, if you like vibes and sad love in your horror, you will like this movie quite a bit. Oh, yeah. So, Falcon Lake. I was curious about that one. So I'm, I'm glad to hear it was good. Yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it's in theaters right now? Is that what you said? Yeah, select theaters. So, or it should, I think, I believe it is. Um, please check that out. Like, woman directed, cool, kind of plays with how to film desire from a male gaze perspective in an interesting way, I think. So, I, this kind of mm, similar maybe vibes. Um, a cute YA adaptation? 
Yeah, so as part of my Frameline 47 uh, queer film festival coverage, which for a lot of the stuff does not have embargoes, so I feel like I can talk about it. <laughs> even though okay. the festival hasn't <laughs> You're like, I... even though the festival hasn't started yet, but like I I'm just gonna go with it because I think that <laughs> everyone's because no one gave me any embargo dates. So here we go. Hopefully I don't get in trouble. Yeah. But this is Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. And if you have never read a YA book okay. before, that that title is pretty much synonymous with almost any YA title it feels like anymore. They always have like yeah. these yeah. really big sounding titles. It, it feels sort of like YA books are continuing the trend of like emo pop songs titles from back in the day with like these super i was gonna say very very fallout boy, very early fallout fallout boy. exactly but this is um a queer love story that's set in 1987 in el paso texas it is about two teenage mexican-american okay. loners as they um kind of discover each other as friends and then sort of navigate some twisty road of self-discovery and being open about their queerness and Ooh, okay. It's it's a very my my biggest complaint about it is that I feel like I and I've not read this is one this is one um, YA queer book that I've not read so I can't really compare it to what the book is. Okay, but I will say that if this feels like a Cliff Notes version of the book, like there's a lot of gaps okay. missing. Like I feel like it's again I've not read the book so I can't. Maybe this is exactly how the book is, but there's there's a couple parts yeah. where. Um, it feels like we're meant to follow both Dante and Aristotle and we're mostly sticking with Aristotle because Dante moves away for a a brief period of time. And so it's sort of like following Ari, Aristotle's, he goes by Ari, his journey of self-acceptance. Whereas I feel like we don't get to see enough of Dante because he's out of the picture. And I'm wondering if the book kind of delves into both a little bit more because it feels... So is it... Is it inspired by like the philosophers and the writer? Like, are they like young versions of that, or they just have the, happen to have names? They happen of to the... have names. They're they're okay. One of them, his his dad is like an English professor, and so named him Dante. And I don't remember exactly why Aristotle's name was Aristotle, but like okay, it's just cool. one of those cutesy YA novels, right? Where they're meant to be together because they're okay, both named was... after <laughs> you know poets and stuff yeah and so like there's really no there's really no connection to the works of literature at least in in this adaptation between the okay. characters they cool. just have cute names because all ya characters must have ridiculously cute names and so i i, I feel like i i do feel like the this the story kind of skips over a lot of development because there's like m- some of the story is told through letters that dante is sending to airy while they're apart for like a year and it goes from like oh, kind okay. of talking to each other to like Dante saying, "Would you masturbate? Who do you think of?" Like that is like it's like a very sudden oh. jump, <laughs> and we don't get to see Dante all of a sudden. Certainly a forward question. It really is, and we don't really get to see Dante go from like this questioning to being asked bold enough to ask this question in a letter, and. So there's like some things we're missing, but it is a really kind of cute story. It's telling a story that I don't think we see a whole lot because these are people of color. Um, It is set in El Paso, a very conservative time. They're both Mexican-Americans. They kind of, it kind of contrasts their two different family lives. Um, And it's just, I think that there's a lot of interesting things in here that I recommend it. It's just, I don't feel, I feel like I'm missing something. And I'm wondering if it's because the the movie's trying to condense a full book into 
an hour and 30 minutes, you know? So, but it is, it's really Classic cute. adaptation issues. Yeah. It's really cute though. And it was really nice to see non, you know, white people having, going through queer self-acceptance. And I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Huh. I love that. Okay. Getting a lot of like adaptations of YA stuff recently. I guess people are starting to catch on that YA is very popular. Yeah, and there's there's one that's coming out later this summer, I think, from Prime that I'm really excited for. Red, white, and Royal, Royal Blue. I talked about that novel. Yeah, and that's coming out as a as a Amazon adaptation. I think by the end of the summer, I'm really excited for that too. So, bring me more YA queerness. Give it to me. Hell yeah. Uh, all right, and then finally, what is this love letter to Ugh. Japanese TV? Okay, so there is a genre of Japanese television called tokusatsu which is basically where power rangers came from it's okay and it's like wild tv shows with lots of like special effects and monsters so there's like ultraman is one of them it's a couple others i can't remember the the, the toshatsu channel um from the shop factory um has like plays all of these but i had the distinct pleasure this week of being able to see a love letter to one of these shows uh, called Common Rider. I got to see Shin Common Rider, directed by Hideki Anno, who is the mad genius behind uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion oh. and 2016 Shin Godzilla. I love this man with all of my being. He is such a sad little weirdo, just an icon, an icon for us all. But he he wrote Shin Ultraman, and now he is back with his next Shin movie, Common Rider. And I could I'm going to try to explain the plot of this movie to you. <laughs> But a lot of it makes not a lot of sense. So that's fine. That's part of the joy of this. But basically, a man is made into an insect-human hybrid. And he is basically engineered by a scientist who regrets giving the insect hybrid creation technology to the world to fight the corporation who wants to use this for evil. Which is basically bringing every all of human humanity together to so everyone always experiences happiness. If you have seen Evangelion, it is basically human instrumentality, but a little bit with a different little flavor. So he is bringing Evangelion. There's Evangelion vibes all up in this. It is very fun. It is very goofy. There's a lot of exposition dumps about things called like prana and all this shit that like you can barely understand. And that's fine. It's not like it's it's this is this is the anniversary, the 50th anniversary of the show. And Hideki Anno is a huge fan of it. So this is like a big kind of tribute, his tribute to one of the shows that like kind of really shaped Japanese popular culture. And I'm like not super familiar with the original show. I've seen, I think, maybe one or two episodes. And Steve is a little bit familiar with it, too. But it's like super bizarre. Like and the hand, like the cinematography is very handheld because it mimics the kind of like cheaper like 1980s aesthetic that the show had. So it's like really, really, really a love letter to the show. So I didn't appreciate that as much, but at like at first, but as like at the end credits, there's like kind of showing like the shots next to each other and how Anno created basically like shots from the original in the new one and it's just like really cool to see like the respect and honor he gives this 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 iconic show but it also very much feels like a response to like superhero movies because this is basically like crazy japanese superheroes Mm -hmm. that are like overly sincere and like 
so cheesy and so like I will save the day and it's it's like overly sentimental and I don't know if he meant it this way but it just felt like such a response to like the crazy confusion and sentimentality of Marvel and while he is both like giving a love letter and an appreciation to Common Rider it does also feel kind of like oh you want superheroes here's some crazy superhero shit and it kind of like it, it almost feels like you're going to watch this and tell me it doesn't make sense, but you're going to watch, like, 20 Marvel movies and tell me it all makes sense. Like, and I kind of love that. And again, I don't know if he meant it that way, but it kind of felt that way. And I love that. Because it is, like, it feels like these are what Marvel movies are. Crazy lore, mm-hmm. weird-ass relationships, everything doesn't make sense, and yet we, like, we all just, bu- like, buy into it. Right. So if you can buy into that, buy into Common Rider. Um, I don't know if it's playing anywhere else in theaters it, it was like kind of a one night event but i think it might be playing this weekend in some places i'm not sure check your theaters and then it'll come to digital soon um if you're like a tokusatsu fan and are familiar with it please check it out it's it's not as good as shin godzilla but i liked it better than shin ultraman i'm so excited for them i want them to tackle a new project that is like godzilla and that's more serious because Ultraman and Shin and Common uh, Rider are like one. They're sh- series of shows and they're very monster of the week shows, mm-hmm. but also like they're silly because mm-hmm. Tokusatsu is supposed to be kind of silly, can't be cheesy, and so it leans into that sensibility. While Shin Godzilla is more of like a horror movie, and captures the ethos of the 1954 original so i'm really hoping they get back to that only because ano like really nailed it with shin godzilla and i just want like another one like that but i still think they're doing amazing it's just like if you're not as familiar with the the shows that those other two shin movies are based on if they're gonna be like wait this is so different from godzilla and it's like yes (laughs) that's on purpose like (laughs) i promise you um but i had a lot of fun and seeing it at theater was cool yeah i bet I always forget that the guy that did Shin Godzilla is um, the guy that did Evangelion. I always forget that until you bring it up again. I'm just like, what? (laughs) I always forget that. Well, it's like all he worked on forever. Like he was like doing Evangelion and then he was doing the movies and all this shit. And then he finally did like Shin Godzilla and like could work on like something else. And so it's cool that he's working on these other projects. And I'm really excited to see what they, they've been Ultraman and Kamen Rider pretty like back to back. So I'm hoping the new one, if they would, they do another one. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But yeah, it was really fun. There was a lot of nerds in that movie theater. Mm. People take this shit very seriously. Good Lord. I need to watch Shin Godzilla. You still haven't seen it? Mm. Get on it. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, it's so good. It looks right up my alley. Oh, it's the best Godzilla movie besides the 1954 version by a country mile. It's wild how good it is and how well Ono understood, like, the source material. And I think that's why I like these movies so much is because, like, they really respect the source material and understand what made it so terrifying. That's Shin Kamen Rider. It's a good time. Nerds abound. Well, so that about does it for this week's Little Cuts. But before we wrap up, Terry, who are we talking to on Monday? Oh boy, we uh, we just we just finished recording with them, um, but we are chatting with uh, the influencer movie director and co-writer Curtis David Harder and the film star Cassandra No. And influencer is really good. Um, if you, I talked we talked about it last week on Little Cuts. If you haven't watched it, it's out on Shutter. I highly recommend watching it. Um, and not reading anything about it because it is a very twisty movie. Yes. And very we that. don't talk spoilers too much, but there is one little thing that we, we do talk about. And I honestly think this is a movie that's best to go in 
without knowing anything. So yes, I very much agree with that. <laughs> homework this weekend, if you want to, is to watch Influencer on Shutter because it's really, really good. But yeah, so we talk about that, and then they also brought with them. So Curtis brought Signs, which we'd already covered, so we just kind of briefly go over his story, and then Cassandra brought the Goosebumps episode. It came from beneath the sink, so we talk about that as well. Hell yeah. Um, and we are still kind of just chugging along playing catch up with everything else that we have to watch for festivals. So we're not starting another series yet, mm-hmm. but we will soon. Yep. We're just busy and have a lot of movies to watch. So. And I got Diablo 4. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's very, that's very true. <laughs> Diablo 4. Uh... Respect. Listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did you watch, play, or read anything that we talked about this week and have thoughts? a lot of bases. Do you have suggestions? I know, seriously. Uh, do you have any suggestions for things we should be talking about? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. We had a couple additions to uh, Patreon for our blah, blah, blah. We had a few new patrons sign up for us for Fresh Wounds and really excited. Thank you for signing up for us. And we hope you enjoy June's offering of Inside. Thank you to Eric Power for artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. Most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. scratch there's a playful way you can do just that scratch with the key or acrylic nail scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail use a belt buckle from your friend lamar or scratch with your pick while you play guitar you can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways scratchers from the california lottery a little play can make your day please play responsibly must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.